0: You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good morning. It's good to be with you on this special day in the life of the church, All Saints Sunday. Our scripture lesson today comes from John's Gospel, the 11th chapter, beginning with the 32nd verse. It'll be on the screens. It'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, there's already a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed that you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's a good reading on Halloween to see Lazarus coming out of the tomb with bandages and Jesus saying, unbind him and let him go. According to legend, according to Celtic legend, this is the time of the year it is said that the dead roam freely upon the earth. And that's not far from the truth. When we remember the lives of the saints, those who have gone before us, those who rest in God's heart are not as distant as we might assume them to be. Thomas Merton said this, Life is this simple. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent, and God is shining through all of the time. If we abandon ourselves to God and forget ourselves, we see it sometimes, and we see it maybe frequently, God shows himself everywhere, in everything, in people and things and nature and events. It becomes obvious that God is everywhere and in everything, and we cannot be without him. It's impossible. The only thing is, we don't see it. On a day such as this, the line between the human and the divine is. As we recall and celebrate the lives of the saints, this church, our place, this holy ground upon which we walk, turns into a thin place where the line between heaven and earth is soft and porous and permeable. It becomes a thin place. The saints remind us that the work of the church far exceeds the span of one life, you know, we will look to the Apostle Paul, early in Paul's writings, 1 Thessalonians, in fact, which is the earliest Christian writing that we have, Paul is adamant that Jesus is coming back. Get ready. Jesus is coming. Don't worry about the ethics of it all. Jesus is coming. Don't worry about getting married. Jesus is coming. But when he gets to Romans, which is his latest writing, he says, you know, this thing that we call the church, this, this might be longer than I'm expecting it to be. This this just might be longer than my own lifespan. This might be longer than our lifespan. and I find it fascinating that maybe one day in the future, people will be talking about today as being part of the early church. Indeed, how long is this story that God is trying to tell? Remembering the lives of of the saints reminds us that the story is ongoing. Thousands of years old, thousands of years to come. I don't think the world is ending today. And if it does, call me a liar tomorrow. (laughs) In this story, in our text, Jesus is blurring the lines between heaven and earth, the lines between the living and the dead. It starts like this, chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Martha and her sister Mary. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Fascinating. John is talking about this in the past tense. This is, home, this is the home of Mary, the one who anointed, who anointed the Lord's feet. But interestingly enough, if you're flipping through your Bible, that story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet hasn't happened yet. It actually happens in John chapter 12 in the next chapter. And it's because John doesn't care about the timeline. He doesn't care about what we consider to be past, present, and future. It's all an eternal now to God. This is why reading the Bible is so fun. Those of you who are in uh, disciple Bible study understand this, just how quirky and lovely and wonderful it is to dive into the story. John says, you know Mary, the one who anointed Jesus' feet, and yet the story hasn't happened yet. When you're talking about creation, when you're talking about the world being a thin place, where heaven and earth is is blurred, even time itself doesn't quite make the same kind of sense. So Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus, Lord, whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus, After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus hears that Lazarus is ill and chooses not to do anything. He chooses to stay, which means he would be getting a very poor report at the end of the year on the clergy forms that we have to submit. Lazarus is ill. I know what I'll do. I'll stay put. And he does, he doesn't move. We tend to think of Jesus as a problem solver. As long as you have Jesus, X, Y, and Z will be okay. Things will be in order. It's the Lake Wobegon, right? Uh, uh, All the women are attractive, the men are hardworking, and all the the kids are, I forget what it is. The women are strong, the men are good looking, and all the women are above average, right? If we have Jesus as part of our life, everything will then work out. Sometimes we think about Jesus as if Jesus is Superman. If things get bad enough, Jesus will swoop in, fix it, and then swoop back up to heaven to Metropolis until the next time we need him. Jesus is not a problem solver. Jesus changes the perspective of our problems. Jesus doesn't solve our problems. Jesus is not a problem solver, Jesus, however. Jesus changes the perspective of our problem. In other words, Jesus, your friend is ill. He might even die. You need to fix this. What Jesus is saying is that death is not the problem. Did I not tell you that I am the resurrection and I am life? Jesus changes our perspective because all of our problems are not really problems, are they? Just this week, I was at Church of the Resurrection Uh, talking about big United Methodist things that we're not going to talk about this morning. But when I got to the hotel, they they could not find my reservation. I had the reservation number in everything. I was prepared. I was ready. Here's my reservation. Here's the number. Here's my ID. Here's my charge card. Let's go. Took them 20 minutes. Still could not find it in the system. Do you remember that Seinfeld episode about reservations? He goes to get a a rental car and they lost his reservation. And he goes, it's not the taking of the reservation. Anybody can take a reservation. It's the holding of the reservation that is the key to reservations. And I I started to, we'll, we'll talk about the Grinch in a couple of weeks, but I started to turn into this very green, obnoxious monster inside, inwardly, inwardly, right? But I had to keep saying to myself, remember your witness, remember your witness, you know, we just can't find your reservation. Like here's the, remember, remember your witness, but after about 20 minutes, they found it. It was in some side of the computer, locked away, like it was Fort Knox or something. And they, they eventually had to like reroute it and do all this stuff. And then when she pulled it and I was just kind of stewing inside, like, oh, I was supposed to be eating dinner right now. It's such an inconvenience. <clears throat> Expedia, you know, and Newman. But she finally found it. She goes, oh, you're with the church group that's in town. So my first response was, Whew. Thank God I wasn't a giant jerk to her, because that would have tainted everything, right? Sometimes it only takes one conversation with one person for you to say, like, I don't want to be a part of that church ever, right? But then, but then, and this was a young adult, probably 23, she goes, you know, I've just started reading my Bible. A friend of, a friend of mine gave me a Bible I started reading it. I was like, okay, well, okay, let's talk, what have you found? She goes, the more I read my Bible, the more I understand that Christians are hypocrites. <laughs> so I said, you know, it's time for dinner. I've got to <laughs> just, just. No, but, but we stayed. And and when we talked about it, actually on, on, some, on some things, she had a great case. And on other things, we talked about maybe changing our perspective a bit of what of what she was reading. Right? Or... As I told her, and as I say often, the church would be perfect if it weren't for all the people in it, right? We worship a perfect Lord, but we ourselves are not, right? It started off as a problem, and then my perspective was quickly changed because it led to a conversation, a holy conversation with someone. When was the last time you ran into, into a stranger and they said, hey, I've been reading my Bible. I'd love to hear what you think about it. <laughs> hmm. Jesus blurring the lines of, of what we think might be problems, when Jesus approaches, Martha meets him and says, Lord, if you had only been here, if you had only been here, this wouldn't have happened. And I'd love to tell you that faith means you have a protective bubble around you where now nothing terrible will ever happen to you. But that would be a lie. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus never came to prevent death. That was never the promise. Jesus came to redeem it, to transform it, so that death would not be the end of the story. And he tells Martha, did I not tell you that I am the resurrection and that I am life? Mary asks him the same thing. Lord, if you had only been here. And then what Jesus does is remarkable. Jesus doesn't tell these two grieving people You should rejoice. Lazarus is in a better place. Or Mary, it was just his time. Or Mary, you know, God just needed another angel in heaven. Jesus wept with them. He entered into that space with them, the son of God. The incarnate divine entered into that space with them and wept with them. Sometimes we think we need to have a front. We need to not show emotion. We need to... Jesus gives us permission to enter into that place. Sometimes you just got to weep and hold your loved ones close. Christ is not about the prevention of suffering, but the redemption of suffering. Giving it a holy meaning. Jesus approaches the tomb, and he asks them to roll the stone away. (laughs) Then they say, Jesus, what are you doing? It's going to smell. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Four days is important. Four days, in in, in terms of Hebrew uh, symbology, it means he is dead, dead. The soul has left; he is gone. Roll the stone away. I think it was Martha who says, "Are you you serious? It's it's gross. It's going to smell. What are you doing?" Right? And Jesus, in essence, says, "Don't let your fear of stench get get in the way of you seeing the glory of God." Sometimes church work is messy. Sometimes serving Jesus means you have to get your your hands dirty. There was a church that will remain nameless, not far from here, where, where they had just gotten the kneelers cleaned. So we had to change the red grape juice for communion to white grape juice. And they used a glass pitcher. And we, had, we couldn't use the glass pitcher anymore. Have you ever seen white grape juice that has been poured into a glass pitcher? It looks like something you would drop off at Willis-Knighton to get... To, and there, on the, it's just a little weird so we had to change the container we had to get a clay container so you couldn't see the juice that's in the thing if, if, sometimes communion is messy being in people's lives is messy John Wesley said are you willing to make yourself more vile for the sharing of the gospel if we are concerned with staining the kneelers we are in the wrong line of work Remove the stone. But Jesus, that is going to offend our sensibilities. (laughs) Do not let your fear or stench get in the way of you seeing the glory of God. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man rose. And then Jesus tells the crowd that is there, unbind him and let him go. He didn't ask Lazarus to unbind himself. Being unbound is the work of the community of faith. And as Christians, we are called to live unbound lives, not letting our sensibilities get in the way of serving, not not our, our, our fear of getting our hands dirty get in the way of serving God. Unbind him, let him go. As Christians, we live unbound lives. What rules are you following? Is it the radical rule of love of God and love of neighbor? Unbind him. Let him go. But then there will still be the Pharisees immediately following the story. The Pharisees plotted to kill Jesus. Even in the face of a miracle, there will still be those who want to silence it in the world. Why do the Pharisees want to get what a remarkable oh my god Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead Well if you're if someone can bring your enemies back to life <laughs> you got to get rid of them That is why Jesus was put to death in the gospel of John Is that not even death would obey him to be unbound See, when we remember the lives of the saints, we enter into an unbound reality of God where our sanctuary is turned into a thin place. It's when we gather around this table, we, we commune with all of the saints in heaven. This is like, it's like the Gospel of John. When we gather around this table, time doesn't make sense because we are dining with those who are resting at God's heart. We are receiving a foretaste of the heavenly banquet while the heavenly banquet is going on Sin doesn't make sense. It is a place of forgiveness and redemption. Time doesn't make sense. There's a song, I I, I think the band is playing right after this, called Mausoleum. Yeah? Thumbs up. I'm so, look, Tommy is doing me a solid by playing this song. I I love this song. I wanted to do it. I couldn't play it. So we bring it to Tommy. It's like, we got to do this song. There's a great line in the song that, that, that says, time is a clever invention In which we all play a part, or something like that. (laughs) Let us be unbound so that we might err on the side of life. So that we and those that we meet, whether they be a brother or a sister or a stranger or someone who lost your reservation at the Holiday Inn, might through our witness. Know the grace of God. When we remember the lives of the saints, we remember that it is possible to reveal God's story. It's a story that far exceeds our own lifespan. It's a story that will exist for thousands of years. It's a story of God's love for all of us. Let us be unbound in that reality. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray.